what's the difference between a motion control shoe and a stability shoe? And those are two terms that are used very <laughs> separately. They're used separately. Yeah. And then, I mean, what's the difference between a neutral shoe and a everyday shoe? Like that's, that's an actual term that's been used everyday shoe. And so mm. when I started going into the literature, looking for ways to, to actually quantify and, and understand, you know, what types of shoes are, are good for different types of people, I couldn't combine any of the data. And that's, I mean, mm. that's essentially where my research has started because it was what I wanted to do was find out, you know, this shoe is good for runners or this shoe is bad for runners, but I can't even get past this right. shoe because I can't define any of it. Hello and welcome to the Adaptive Zone podcast, talking all things running and triathlon from injury through rehabilitation and into performance. My name is Matthew Boyd. I'm a physiotherapist living in Red Deer, Alberta, originally from the UK, and I'll be your host. Hey guys, so what do you consider when buying running shoes? Research shows that most runners think getting the correct shoe is important for avoiding injury. But how do you know if you're in the correct shoe? Well, today, Dr. Ramsey is going to be joining us and she is an expert on running shoes and has been investigating the relationship between running shoes and running injuries. Dr. Ramsey is the academic lead for the Masters of Applied Science program at Otago Polytechnic and that's in Dunedin in uh, New Zealand. She joined me today to talk about the problems we face when trying to use evidence to make informed decisions about our running shoes. We discussed the difficulty of making strong recommendations based on the current evidence as well as the problems that have arisen from shoe companies putting their marketing cart before the research horse. She also shares some practical tips that runners can use to evaluate shoes right there in the store before making a purchase. Really fun episode today, lots of um, interesting things and by the end of it you'll have a much better understanding about the complexities of making recommendations about running shoes and the difficulties that uh, clinicians like myself face. And hopefully by the end you'll be able to make more informed decisions for yourself as a runner. So it's a, it's a long one and it's a deep dive into some research stuff, but definitely worth taking the time to listen to right through to the end. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy the show and uh, uh, let's get into it. But even just when, you know, you get that question from a runner, um, you know, what shoes shall I buy? Trying to give a, a somewhat evidence-informed answer to that is just extremely difficult uh, even to yeah, and they often bring their running shoes in and expect me as an expert quite quite reasonably to be able to look at them and say this shoe does this this and this and um i was reading your uh i think you'd done part of your phd a study where you interviewed clinicians mm. um i don't think it was meant to be funny but it was quite funny <laughs> like <laughs> just just all over the place we are and it's so true like mm. we really don't have any structured way to approach analyzing what is like like quantifying what a shoe is and what it what it's doing mm. versus another shoe so um that's what caught my eye about it and then is that is that where you're going with your research in the future trying to to assess and analyze and investigate shoes yeah um so my yeah, I want to, I've, I've kind of all over the show with what I'm doing with my research. And um, I have a friend that I met back in uh, Australia who is living in Tokyo, but we met up in Australia last year and she got this 
kind of odd postdoc that's not your typical research-based postdoc where, I mean, she's doing research, but um, she does it in kind of these innovative, just different ways of looking at the same sort of question. And so her pathway to um, like her topic is something with shoulder injury or something, but what they were doing was going onto blogs and websites and evaluating how good the website is and what sort mm. of information is out there and whether it's evidence-based and that sort of stuff. And so her and I met in Australia and started having this conversation about um, that the manufacturers probably are at the top of this tier and are influencing footwear retailers, clinicians, of course, the, the buyers and, and runners themselves, but, um, and then probably in a wider aspect, when we start thinking about like the new performance shoes and their impact on like, the international Olympic committees and, and that pendulum swing is actually quite interesting because never before has there been any sort of concrete objective data restrictions around what shoes can and can't be. Mm. Um, I mean, we've had, we've had restrictions on like the, the length of spikes and the material of spikes, but never about the actual geometry of a shoe. Mm. And so okay. with the new Nike, whatever it is, Vaporfly, um, you know, they, they made all these, these restrictions with the Olympics and international track and whatever else. Um, and that's never been done before where the midsole has to be a certain thickness and it can't have certain features. And um, yeah, that's, that's never been present before. So I think that there's a whole lot of connections between a whole lot of different actors in this that need to be um, properly linked together and have a, a streamlined bit of information where everybody can speak the same language. And so it does come back down to clinicians are probably the easiest target because they're usually like yourself, um, frustrated with trying to figure out the literature, um, confused with what the literature actually says because everybody talks in these ridiculous sort of colloquial languages. Um, and I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. And then, then they've got their, their patients coming in and adding that pressure to it. And so, and then, I mean, course you're you're limiting the amount of time that you can dedicate to this so if you want any sort of work-life balance you've got 30 minutes blocks that that's where your payment comes from so you can't spend that reading literature all day long and trying to figure it out and so you have to do that in your spare time and um yeah it's it's really frustrating and i would love to be able to just help start making the links between things and there's lots of ideas that I have about that. One of them is using that, that tool where we objectively actually measure shoes. And the key to that is that you would have a patient that comes in, you know, multiple times over their training period or whatever, and you're continually assessing the changes that a shoe makes. And um, I haven't done a, a study longer than 12 weeks and I'm still working on, on the paper for this, but over 12 weeks, even, I mean, that's not very long. I think the people that I had in my study were, they ran a total of 
like 800 kilometers or something like that over 12 weeks. And, um, oh, I can't even be that much. It's gotta be like 400. Um, and their shoes changed immensely just, mm. just from, you know, the, the wear that they put on them, the temperature, I don't know, the different surfaces that they run on. And, um, yeah, it was, it was real interesting. I didn't find any links to injury and those changes, but I didn't have enough people to really run that sort of analysis either, but it is just interesting. And it's a starting point. Hmm. So how did you analyze those shoes? Did you use that fast tool mm -hmm. or? Yeah. Yeah, I did. So could yeah. you explain a little bit for people listening, like what that is and, and what, what, why we might be interested in what it says? So I was influenced by a clinician about this tool. So I didn't develop it, um, but I, I got really interested because a clinician um, that I had talked to uses it uh, a bit informal um, to assess his patients. And so uh, they'll come in and he does a, you know, some sort of dynamic task with them barefooted and then has them put their shoes on and does the same sort of dynamic task. And um, if they can't perform the task, the same you know, set of shoes as they could barefoot, then there's something going on with their shoes that's not allowing them to move. And this kind of falls along that natural motion control or whatever, not the motion control, but the, the natural movement paradigm that Ben O'Neill kind of has stored in his, his corner. Um, and so it kind of falls along that, but uh, what, what it does is it measures um, down to the millimeter, the medial lateral differences. So from the inside to the outside of your shoe, um, whether it's either thicker and or harder, which we know a lot of shoes are built with that medial post where it's supposed to be a motion control. Um, and so if you're listening to that Bartle uh, podcast. He had, um, uh, I don't remember who it was on that was talking about, um, how motion control, he worked for Nike and motion control is was a hundred percent a marketing scheme. Um, mm -hmm. from, from the get go, they just made it up. Okay. Um, and so by being able to quantify and measure how much difference there is between the medial and lateral side of a shoe um, down to a millimeter, you can start making adjustments. So um, let's just assume that it's a typical motion control shoe. And if we think about, um, if you think about standing barefoot on the ground, uh, the alignment of your ankle, knee and hip, we would assume in a, in a healthy person, you know, there's, there's lots of, of pathologies and stuff that we're just going to ignore for now. But in an, a normal healthy person, even if you've got some soft tissue injuries, the alignment of your ankle, knee, and hip standing barefoot logically should be relatively aligned. Okay. And then when you start adding even three or four millimeters of a medial post, that alignment shifts. And so then you've got soft tissues that are having to try to pull back the structures to get it into an alignment. And then we're overloading them and then you try to do like one-legged dynamic tasks as in running where we spend a moment of time on each leg several times over let's just go the course of like a 5k how many steps do you take in a 5k that's a lot of times that you're loading that structure kind of in a wonky angle 
and having to use all of the soft tissues and muscles and whatever to try to bring it back into its natural position. And so by being able to measure what that difference is, clinicians can go in and um, either prescribe a new pair of shoes that is going to allow your patient to stand as if they were barefoot um, or in the most comfortable position for them. And I use comfort very um, cautiously here, but, um, or you can start adjusting the shoes. And this is what this clinician that I was influenced by is that he'll take um, pieces of rolled up newspaper and tape them to the inner sole um, just to make like a one millimeter adjustment or two mm -hmm. millimeter adjustment. And, and it's, it's just trying to balance out a, a shoe that is asymmetric or isn't allowing a person to move in the way that they should be moving. Mm. Uh, currently, you know, would it be fair to say that most shoes that are sold um, have this kind of um, tipping, for want of a better word, uh, to the outside of the foot? Would, would yeah. that be, yeah, is that pretty pretty typical of the shoes that you've looked at? Yeah, and a lot more are um, are neutral than what I expected. Um, but yeah, you're right that a lot, most shoes are actually, you know, tipped towards the outside. And the problem with that is that our natural strike pattern for most runners um, is a rear foot strike and you strike on the outside of the shoe. And mm. so, right, so that you hit your heel on that, on that back, corner and if you flip over anybody's shoes you can see oh yep you're a heel striker and you have a typical pronation pattern and pronation has been such a bad word in running for so long that um part of what i would like to do is is bring a little bit more positivity to that because <laughs> pronation is not a bad thing that's what we do that's how we move um and there's there's lots of lots of issues with pronation, um, measuring it statically versus dynamically. And in a dynamic movement like running, it's normal. That's that's how our body is intended to do stuff, especially if we're landing on our heel first. Um, there's there's different issues with with being a four foot striker, but heel strikers land on that outside corner and wear the corner of the shoe down. And so if we think about going back to standing in a, in an asymmetric shoe with that, you know, if it's tipped to the outside and then you've got a pair of shoes that you've worn for seven or 800 Ks and have constantly worn down that outside corner, that tilt has gotten a lot worse. And so mm -hmm. over time, your body's had to adapt to greater and greater moments of, of displacement, I guess, from mm. that original position. So then say when you were, if you were to look at some shoes, would, would you sort of perhaps using this tool or, or maybe some other assessment means, but you would look at the shoe and instead of sort of going with what it's been sold as, like let's say a motion control or a minimalist or, or whatever, you would look at it and try and decide this shoe is going to tilt them more outwards or this shoe is going to tilt them more inwards. Is that, is that the sort of lens you're looking at it through? Um, yes and no. So yes, I would be able to make that sort of judgment, but ultimately the, 
the, you know, you have to have the person involved. So a, a runner has to come in, you have to know what it is that is going to work for that runner. So it, it might be that um, somebody really struggles to do stuff barefoot and we put them in a shoe that allows them to do, to move much better. Um, number one, I would probably say, let's strengthen that person so that they can hmm. work more properly barefoot um, because shoes are technically a brace, aren't they? So any sort of bracing that we do in any other aspect of, of rehab or, or any sort of treatment, a brace is only there long enough to get you back to a normal state or to a healthy state. So, I mean, we just habitually wear shoes and are habitually in this braced state of, of movement. So getting people to be able to function well without a brace on is the top priority. And then being able to, I mean, shoes are a necessity. We have to wear them. Not, I mean, I don't, I don't run barefoot, um, but I do make sure that my shoes are allowing me to do the things that I can do barefoot. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, I'm not willing to run on rocks and, and roots and whatever else without shoes on. Some people do, but I'm not into that. So um, yeah, it, it, shoes are just a necessity and we, we have to be able to, to use them, but they shouldn't be hindering us from what it is that we can do without them. Yeah. And it, it's, it almost sort of, I don't know if you've ever come across that question, but uh, I get it from clients often who've got um, orthotics, right? So inserts for their shoes that have been custom molded to their feet. And then um, they've usually paid a lot of money for them. And they say, Sh should I, what type of shoes should I put these in? And I'm always, <laughs> it's another one that sort of stumps me because you know, a neutral shoe, as you said, wouldn't be neutral after a certain amount of kilometers. And yeah. certainly when I look at, you know, neutral shoes, they're not perfectly flat, are they? They're, they're, they're higher at the back than they are at the front. Um, they, they often have a little bump on the inside near the arch. You know, they're, they're not, is there such a thing as a neutral shoe? Is this a category that exists in, in, a, in a motion control shoe? Or, you know, are the are these defined categories? Are these um, are these convenient words to use that maybe don't actually mean what we think they mean? Uh, I guess is. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I really struggle with that. So I've done quite a bit of of work in in the literature and kind of coming back to my friend that evaluates websites. Um, we went in just. Uh, this past few months and have been looking at manufacturer websites and that paper is underway at the moment. Um, and it's, it's so confusing um, because a minimalist shoe to you is not the same minimalist shoe to me. And there is, that's probably not a good, good example because there is a definition for a minimalist shoe at the moment. Um, but there hasn't been up until the last five years. And for all other types of shoes, like what's the difference between a motion control shoe and a stability shoe? And those are two terms that are used very <laughs> separately. They're used separately. Yeah. And then, I mean, what's the difference between a neutral shoe and a everyday shoe? Like that's, that's an actual term that's been used, everyday shoe. And mm -hmm. so when I started going into the literature looking for ways to 
to actually quantify and, and understand you know, what types of shoes are, are good for different types of people. I couldn't combine any of the data. And that's, I mean, mm. that's essentially where my research is started because it was what I wanted to do was find out, you know, this shoe is good for runners or this shoe is bad for runners, but I can't even get past this right. shoe because I can't define any of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's a, that's a big project that um, I would love to, to tackle. And I've had some good conversations with people over the years um, of being able to actually define all the different types of shoes and um, you know Canadians are are good at, at footwear stuff so there's uh, Jeff Eskuler, um at British Columbia that's doing some cool stuff with the minimalist index which is it's a different tool um, and I I he's doing some really great stuff with it so he's got Site where they have a website uh, um, applying this index to all different types of models. So you can go on um, and and understand what um, what index each shoe is. But the problem with it is that there's um, there's only one outcome. So you end up with a score of one, zero to hundred. So um, ugh. Now I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna mess this up. Um, I think the higher the number, the more minimalist it is. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, um, and so you know, if if you've got a shoe that's 85% minimalist, let's just say, um, there's five or six different factors that play into that, and so um, still a shoe that's 85% minimalist, we can have two different brands that are. 85% minimalist, but are going to have different features and different, um, you know, it might be this fluctuation of different numbers that ultimately come up to 85. And so um, it's a really good starting point. And I think it should be included on the box when you buy shoes that, you know, these are the numbers that this is what it, it comes out to be. And that way, as a clinician, you can know. So if it's printed on the box and is printed on the website that this shoe is 85% minimalist, here's all the, the stuff when, when it was manufactured, you can log in, look at that and go, right, this shoe isn't this anymore. You, when you've got a, a person that comes in that's injured or, or whatever. Um, and, and you can help people transition between different levels of minimalism. And I think that's, it's a really good starting point. There's lots of other things that I think can, can be added into it. Hmm. Yeah, I discovered that a few years ago. I did that course actually, and then um, yeah. you know, they, they talk about it. And I think the, the difficulty I have with that is it, it sort of starts from this point of, um, and even the way they've set up the scale to be 100% minimalist, right? So 100%, it, it kind of implies, and I think this is a fair reflection of the beliefs of the the people who teach that course, that the more minimalist it is, the, the quote unquote better it is in terms of all things being equal, it would yeah. be better to have a more minimalist shoe, which is a very difficult thing to apply in, in practice because you know most of our runners who come in won't be conditioned uh, in their running and in their um, tissues to tolerate 
high levels of minimalism <laughs> in their shoes. Sure. So it, it sort of starts from, so say you started putting that on the box, you know, 85% minimalist, and then people are going to start going up. Um, now, depending on what you believe, you may think that that's a good thing, right? The more minimalist they go over time, the better. But when I've read your work and some other work, when you look at the evidence that connects running related injuries to shoes, that there doesn't seem to be anything hugely convincing to say this type of shoe makes you more or less injury prone. Is that a fair assessment on my part? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no evidence. Um, and I really struggle going into shoe shops that have, um, um, you know, they, they do a, a gait assessment and will tell you that, um, you know, you're a rear foot striker and you pronate, so you need an anti-pronation or motion control shoe. I really, really struggle with that because for over a decade now, that has not been true. And we've seen it in huge, large studies that they've done it repeatedly and cannot come up with that answer. So assigning somebody a shoe because of how they run or because of what their foot posture is in a static position, we can't measure foot posture dynamically, right? So we have to have somebody stand there and we look at how far their arch falls to the floor and how their Achilles line aligns, but we can't do it dynamically unless we video them and, and break it down. But um, it's, it's so hard and so confusing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think, yeah, I think part of the problem is that it's such a convincing and simplistic narrative to take someone's foot, take a slow mo video and see it tipping inwards, and then put something under it and, and it looks like a nice straight line. And that's such a convincing narrative. I think that's why it it really took hold of the foot, footwear industry and the orthotics industry. And we don't have, as far as I understand, any, we, we have evidence that that's not correct, but we don't have anything to, to, to su supplant it or to, to put in its place, you know? So yeah. um, you mentioned a, a little while ago, they, uh, Ben or Nig's team and their comfort filter. So, and just for the listeners, this is the sort of, it's the proposition that if you, uh, that the best guidance to how to choose your running shoes is the ones that will feel the most comfortable when you try them out, uh, will potentially, um, be, make you less prone to injuries. Um, so that, that's sort of taken hold a little bit now, I'd say a lot, you hear that a lot from clinicians who've read that study or, or ones like, uh, others from that team and. But then I was listening to a, uh, like a, it wasn't a podcast. It was like a talk with, um, I've forgotten his name. Uh, he does uh, pod chat live. He's a, a oh, podiatrist. Yeah. Adam Meekins? No. Um, oh. Anyways. Then, sorry, the name escapes me. I think it's Ian Griffiths actually. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Of course. So, and he yeah. was saying, you know, he looked at the evidence for this um, comfort filter paradigm and, and there didn't seem to be much there didn't seem to me much at all and I, and I was just wondering what your thoughts are there is it is it you know is it a fair thing to say to a runner choose the shoes that are comfortable 
Or would the more honest answer be, you know, we don't have any evidence to guide you in selecting running shoes currently. So get the ones that look good. You know? um, yeah. And I mean, I'm guilty as well as every clinician out there at the moment um, that has given that advice that you just pick something that's comfortable because it, I mean, to me, that seems like the easier answer than doing a, an assessment and saying mm. to somebody, you know, your, your arch falls in when you run. So here's a shoe to fix that because that goes back to that bracing uh, pathway, you know, like we need to, if somebody's arch is falling in while they're running um, and they seem to do better when you brace it, well, let's strengthen them so that they don't have to brace it anymore. Um, but the comfort thing, it does seem to be the easiest answer. Mm. Um, and I've been guilty of, of doing that, um, to runners. And I've, I've started kind of holding back after, um, after Ian had done some of that work. Um, and is yeah, it, it is a bit more convincing now that actually, I mean, your comfort changes and standing for five minutes in a shoe store um, mm. where you maybe get to run on a treadmill. The last time I've ever done any training on a treadmill, I was probably 19 or something like that. I mean, it's been years ago. So um, I I don't run on a treadmill and that's completely different than running on the trails and doing all the other type of running that I like to do. So it's not gonna be indicative of how comfortable that shoe is for me or anybody um, standing in the shoe store. What would be great is if we could go out and run for a little bit and go, ah, actually I don't like these and bring them back. And there are some shoe stores some specialty stores that are that do that, which is amazing. Um, and then, you know, if the shoes are, are too worn to put them back on the shelf and sell to somebody else, then they donate them and, and take one on the chin, I guess. But um, I would I would love to see that happen across the, the globe that, um, you know, if you don't like a pair of shoes after, let's say, 30 days and you bring it back and get something else, try, try a different one. Um, I mean, I've, I've got a pair of $400 shoes that I hate at the moment. <laughs> I Why hate do you them. hit them? Ah, well, I, I just, I changed model just slightly. So I, I thought, oh, I'll have a, a lazy pair of shoes. So I've got my normal ones that I run in that make my calves and Achilles work quite a bit. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'll get just something that to be a little bit lazier in for easy days and, um, you know, days that I'm, I'm tired and I don't necessarily want to have to work all that hard. And they're horrible. They're too cushioned. I can't feel anything. Mm. Um, yeah, I hate them. My toes hit the end uh, of them, even though they're the same size. I just hate them. That, and I that's spent the other so much with... money. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say the the other trouble with that comfort. It's like you say. It's like comfort is contextual. Like, um, you know, if you have a very strong belief that running barefoot is a natural way to run, and then you put on some five fingers they will feel comfortable to you because you have a, a perception that this is a good thing. Whereas if you believe that you shouldn't feel anything when you run, like in those, you just said, you know, I, I can't feel anything. They're too cushioned. Like that's a different yeah. approach. So you could end up like two different people with coming in with different beliefs. One that leaves with some five fingers and one leaves with some hawkers on the same comfort paradigm. And we have no idea what that does to their biomechanics, to their training habits, to their, um, 
you know, the, the forces that their legs experience. Mm. We don't know what those two shoes do. Oh, we know bits, do you know what I mean? But we don't know which would be better for that runner. Um, so it's a, it feels like a little bit of a cop out to me that the, the comfort, I, I get it. Um, and it's a little easier for me as a clinician, but it, it doesn't feel any more, um, scientifically robust than the, the line up the heel kind of, um, mm. position that I sort of had five years ago. And I guess as a clinician, I've, that's, I guess that's part of the reason I liked what you were saying. Cause I wondered if maybe some of the difficulty in finding any links, any really strong links between types of running shoes and running injuries is because we've been throwing people into studies without being able to properly quantify what that shoe is. So we may have been comparing um, or putting people in a group that actually didn't have the same shoe, you know, that, you know, so if one was running in shoes that were six months old and, and another person in that group was, you know, brand new shoes, if you assess them with your tool, you know, you might find that shoe has a completely different biomechanical effect. So do you think that might account for some of the all over the placeness of, of <laughs> running research on shoes? Oh, absolutely. That is a hundred percent where my frustration with this whole topic started um, was that I had no way of understanding because when I, I did a systematic review and, and looked at all these different studies and was trying to do that, trying to go, okay, well, from, you know, from a research perspective, what's the best shoe that I can give to the people that I want to study? And so I looked at the literature to try to determine that, that, okay, well, you know, all these studies, these people got hurt because they're wearing these shoes. And when, when I went to compare them across the board, I think I had like 30 different, um, characteristics that were explained across, I don't know, 15 or something studies, 25 studies. And none of them were consistent. I couldn't combine two studies together. Um, mm. And because they used, they used different shoes, they use different, um, different ways of describing shoes. So let's just stay with the neutral topic. Um, I think, I don't, I don't remember exactly what I wrote about, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, I might've had like eight studies that used a neutral shoe and the way that they determined that that shoe was neutral was different across all eight studies. Right. So one might've just listed that it, it was the manufacturer that mm. said that it was a, a neutral shoe. Um, some of them might've done some sort of measurement on it. Um, I, I don't know. It's all over the place and it's, it is extremely frustrating. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's an unsatisfactory endpoint, isn't it, too? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, what's the take-home here? Is It's very tricky to arrive at one for for what to do when you get these questions like, what shoes shall I buy? Or are these the right shoes for me? It's, um, yeah, I, I guess it would be nice if we had at least, like you said, something like this tool where it's like, okay, well, these ones are tipping you a bit more outwards or these ones are pretty flat. Do you get yeah. any that are tipping inwards or is that just not a thing? Um, yeah, no, there are some, um, especially, I mean, there are some that are designed that way that have a lateral post in them. Um, mm. More, and the interesting and longer, bigger picture 
that's interesting about this and there's there's plenty of um of counter arguments that but if we look at medial knee osteoarthritis which is really common um one of the quick fixes for it is to stick a lateral post in to change the position and offload that that medial moment on the on the knee um, which is really interesting because we do exactly the opposite in prescribing footwear and so we load hmm. the medial side of the knee and to me osteoarthritis is the ultimate overuse injury right so it's it's just been hammered down for so long um, and so what would be probably a lifetime goal of mine in research would to look at a longitudinal, I mean, decades worth of people wearing a, a motion control shoe and what the link to osteoarthritis is after mm, that, okay. because it's, it's loading that, that medial side of their knee, the inside of the knee. Um, and so running shoes particularly don't always have that that lateral um, post in it on the outside where it, it tips inwards but um, that is a a, a, a treatment um, for people with medial knee osteoarthritis um, that they stick a, a wedge in to the outside of their shoe just to offload the the medial side and and bring structures closer to the the midline of the body um, mm -hmm. So I find that really interesting when you when we kind of zoom out and get away from mm. just running, but look at the long term effects of you know lower limb injuries. Uh, that that's really interesting to me. And going back to what you're saying about um, how there's different shoes even within a single study um, that if we are not measuring them, that that's probably why some of it some of the variability exists and that we can't come up with any single answer. Um, I've had this uh, conversation with, with other people before that you and I could go to the shoe shop together and the same store, buy the exact same shoe, the brand, the model at the same time, and they can be completely different because one shoe might've come in from a shipment um, from let's say, Vietnam, the other shoe might have came in from a shipment from the US. They use different foam, different manufacturing, it's different climates, and they might have used different adhesives to put all the, the materials together. Um, there was a, a case study that I read from, uh, I want to say that it was like 2000. So this is 20 years old, this case study. And there's a guy um, that presented Achilles tendinopathy. And the clinician that wrote the case study identified that there was kind of a manufacturer flaw in the shoes. And of course, it's, it was just a one person case study, but the shoe that had that was on the same foot as the tendinopathy, um, the upper was kind of glued at an angle. And so that guy's foot just didn't sit quite right in the shoe. And so there's, there's those sort of issues too, that like the, the shoes just are not made the same based on where they come from. Um, yeah, the, the polymers are different around the world. Is that, would there be any way for us to account for that kind of thing? You know, say, um, in a sort of clinical en environment, looking at a shoe, could we, could we assess that kind of thing? 
Or is uh, that is that just sort of, you know, it's something that we can't control for? Yeah, I don't think so. Not at the moment. And that's part of my approach to the, the bigger, wider issue of, you know, that I think manufacturers need to take a bit more responsibility for the products that they're putting out. They need to, I would love to, actually, this would be an amazing thing for me that, um, you know, when you open a can of tennis balls and it does that like, shh, <laughs> yeah. I think we should be able to do that with shoes because EVA is a, a biodegradable material. So sitting on right. the shelf, that shoe is sitting there degrading, whether you're using uh, it or okay. not. And so, you know, I hear a lot of runners go, oh, I bought 10 pairs of the same shoe because I heard this company is not going to make the, the sh- this model anymore. And so they go buy 10 of the same shoe so that they've got the same shoe for, you know, the next 10 changes that they need to go through. But by the time they get to the ninth or 10th shoe, it's been sitting in the closet for years potentially mm. and is not the same as they bought it hmm. five years no. ago or two years ago or whatever. Um, because EVA is biodegradable. I mean, not real fast, but <laughs> it does degrade. And I mean, other other materials in, in shoes are degrade also. And I mean, then there's the whole issue of what do we do with old shoes also, which is, I mean, there's landfills full of shoes somewhere. Yes, that that is a topic that's too big for me. I can't, yeah. I can't handle it right now. <laughs> no, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's just my perspective on, on things. It's, it's huge. It's a huge mm. issue. Mm. The, you mentioned, you know, about the, the form and the fact that it degrades and the fact that, you know, it wears down with time and, and changes the way our foot interacts with the ground. And um, when I was reading one of your studies, you'd use this, um, I believe it's called a duometer, like a, a density measuring tool. Could you describe just for the listeners, like what that is? Is this something that we need in order to assess shoes or, or can we just measure them like with a ruler? Um, you know, how, how applicable to the real world is this? Uh, or is this more going to be in the research setting? Um, yeah, I mean, durometers are, are relatively accessible. Um, you can get them at, uh, they're real common in like material testing. Um, and like if you go to your local tire store, they'll test the hardness of the rubber on your tires using a durometer. Oh, um, okay. I didn't know that. But there's lots of different kinds. And so the kind that I use is for soft foams. Um, and yeah, it's all it is. It's just a spring-loaded, uh, I don't know, little ball that's on the end of this reading. Um, and it's just a scale and it's its own arbitrary units of hardness. And you just press it down on, on the foam and it, it gives you a reading about how hard that foam is. Um, and so a uh, hundred would be uh, wood. That's a, so if you push it down on the table, it should read all the way to a hundred. And so less than that is, you know, varying degrees of, of hardness of foam. Um, there are some people from, uh, so I need to, use this validity uh, or, or do this validity of, of using this tool um, in measuring footwear in this way. Um, I, it's super reliable. So if you can get your hands on a, a durometer, you and I can measure shoes very reliably, reliably between the two of us. Um, 
but the validity of it, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I feel like it would be pretty good. I, I don't know what else it's going to be measuring, but um, there is a way to just manually do it because the durometer is quite expensive. Um, and so having one accessible to all clinicians is, is difficult. And so there is a way to manually do it and you just give it a push with your thumbs. And um, yeah, if it's, if it's relatively hard, you score it as a zero. If you can get a, a fair bit of give into it, you score it as a one. If there's a lot of give, so if you take like a Nike free, if there's a lot of give in it, um, you score it as a two. Mm. And that just has to deal, so those, those numbers get translated to millimeters. And then you combine that with a measurement. And I use calipers, but you could use a, a ruler all the same. And so let's say that the medial side is, is real hard and then you go over and measure. So you give that side a zero um, and then you go over and give the, the lateral side a squeeze and it's really soft. And so let's say we give that one a two, um, but the thickness is the same. So let's say that they're 25 millimeters on each side, but one's really hard and one's really soft. So that means that there's two millimeters of difference towards the outside of the shoe. So oh, it's okay. tipping you two millimeters when you're, you know, when you're standing yeah. there. Um, and so, yeah, there, there is a way to, but then, you know, as that shoe wears, that will increase. So if we're wearing out that outside of the shoe over time, it's not going to be 25 millimeters on each side anymore. It might be 25 on one side and 23 on the other and still right. hard and soft. So now we've got four millimeters of difference over time. Okay, this this is this we're, we're reaching some point of actual useful information instead of just telling people it's hopeless. So let me grab my shoe. What's that? Okay, so these are relatively new. Yeah. Um, sorry for the people listening rather than watching, but click the show notes and you'll see the video. So <laughs> um, <laughs> if we're looking at the back of the shoe here, if I was going to do the, the finger test of how firm the form is, where, where am I going to push? Um, so if you turn it sideways. Yep. Okay. So if, if you were to go right where you're, uh, okay, so clinician talk here, what is that? The medial side? Or is that the lateral side? That's the lateral side. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Okay, so if you clear. go from where your malleolus would go and just go straight down. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So give it a, a push there. Okay. Yeah. And so it just if you can just try to press it in and see if there's any give. So I'm pressing I'm pressing towards I'm pressing towards the, the heel, like from the no, side. I'd, push press up, up. So, yeah. so through the sole of the shoe yeah because that's how it's going to compress right yeah so when you stand yeah. okay it, so you kind of pinch it yeah you kind of pinch it on the inside like this. yeah okay. yeah <laughs> and so okay and so if if there's if it's relatively hard isn't giving much um it's barely giving at all I'd say. okay so then you'd score that as a zero i'd say it's giving about one millimeter right if with a with a hard squeeze, I can get it to squish about two millimeters. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's hard for me to make a judgment, but if it's if it's if it is real hard to like, if you've got to really put some effort into it, I do. Yeah, I would still probably say it's it's relatively a hard foam. So like, if we you need go, some sort of a equivocal 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's as hard as. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it's as hard as. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's that's the that's a difficulty, right? But yeah, and then you do the same on the other side. Okay. And see if it's if it's the same. I'd say it's pretty similar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you can you can measure the thickness of of the shoe. Just grab a ruler. Um, and like in the shop, I'll I'll do something where I just take it on my finger, and so I'll just mm -hmm. line my finger up because I I don't take all of this stuff into the shop, right? But line my finger up and I go right, so it's it's this thick on this side, mm -hmm. and then I just go over to the other side and I go, oh yeah, right. it's about the same thickness. So then I know yeah. that it's you know it's it is relatively close to being the same. Okay, thickness so on if we do sides. a quick case study on this shoe, um, <laughs> so say I picked it up in the shop, I'm going to squeeze the two sides like pinch them. Yeah. And actually, when you say, you know, you're comparing one side to the other, that's a lot easier than just saying hard versus soft. So I could say, okay, well, it's for me, these feel equal. Yeah. So it's neither going to tip me in or out. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, but say this one on the outside was squishier. It That's one point in the tippy out box. Would that right. be? Right. Okay. Yeah. And if it's a lot squishier than the inside, that might be like two points in the tippy out box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then I'm going to measure with my finger. Again, I'm still in the shoe store and I'm just going to put it sort of, uh, it's, it's right in the, if you were looking from the side for yeah. the listeners, it's where the heel is, you know, it's, yeah. it's sort of uh, in the center of your heel bone. And um, the, the tricky thing there, if you look at these shoes, mm. they have this kind of, design wedgy yep. bit so where do i where yeah. I, how thick is the sole and so i call that the fashion band so it just goes around the outside <laughs> yes. it's it's maybe reinforcing a bit of the the uh, glue and stuff that's attaching the upper to the to the yeah. actual midsole but if you stick your finger down inside the shoe and you can yeah. tell like where you know that uh, that's, yes, that's actually can. just coming up over the edge and yes. so, so if i do you that go yeah. Now I know where the top of it is. That's so right. I'm sort of pinching it from the inside and out. And um, it's actually on these shoes, you maybe can't see, but it's kind of, um, you can actually see it. You can see yeah. what is real sole and what's this bit of rubber coming up the outside. So now, okay, on the inside, if I do my little measurement, it's about 1.5 index fingernail lengths, for me. <laughs> <laughs> which equates, I think, to about, you know, a centimeter. And then on the outside, sorry, on the inside, it's it's a little more. It is a little more, not by much. It's a few millimeters mm. higher on the inside sole, the, the, the part of the sole that would be near the other foot is a little bit. So that would say potentially give it a slight outward yeah. tip to the foot. Yeah. So would you do it then for the front of the shoe as well? The same thing? Yeah. And so that's that's where the nice thing with this one comes in is that you can be, a, and I mean, it, it works for any strike pattern. And I mean, we always come up off of our toes anyways, whether that's where we land or not. But, um, and so if you know that when you're on your toes, which is probably your most vulnerable position, um, you know, that's when you're the least stable. So when you're coming off, even if you heel strike and then you're coming off of your toe, um, and if that's not stable, you're really having to work quite hard to 
balance yourself out and and be able to to keep moving mm, yeah um okay. and so like i don't know get a get a patient in um and have them do like a heel raise task from like a dynamic squat single-legged squat to a heel raise and coming up off their heel onto their toes is really difficult and so then yeah. like even in a barefooted position, you could stick just a, a small wedge underneath one side of their foot and, and just watch them wobble all over the place and potentially maybe not even be able to get up onto their, onto their toes. Um, mm. And so yeah, by measuring both the front and the back of the shoe is, is quite important, actually. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. And as I just, as you were talking, I was having a feel of the front of mine. And definitely, there seems to be more than, you know, there's, the, the form feels similar, but there's definitely more sole on the inside near the big toe than there is on than there is on the outside. And like you said, if I was standing there doing a calf raise and then someone put a little wedge under my big toe and I was doing a one-legged calf raise without holding on to anything, it's just going to tip me over. Yeah. So obviously that's going to increase, obviously I shouldn't say that, <laughs> <laughs> potentially that's going to increase the stress on the muscles on the outside of the ankle so those that would prevent spraining or rolling you know it's the yeah. perineal muscles they, they would have to work harder to to counterbalance that and I, I don't i mean at least that is a way of looking at this objectively mm -hmm. you know instead of just saying this is a neutral shoe at least now i have some concept of what it might be doing to the foot that i can start with uh, I guess the question, though, is, is is what you're looking into is, is what we did valid? Is it really measuring what we think it's measuring? Um, yeah. Would you say there's enough uh, from your work to say, yes, it is, or no, we need to, we need to look into it more? Yeah, I, I mean, I, the, I think that it's, it's pretty valid. Of course, I don't have the, the information to back that up the the research to back it up but i mean it's relatively simple it's just looking at hardness and thickness mm, mm. and when you when you combine those two together does it give us a, a a reading that is conducive of that sure i'd say yeah mm. <laughs> um yeah. but yeah let's let's test it out and uh, and find out whether whether it is is actually valid um mm. And I mean, ultimately, it'd be great if we could get manufacturers to report these sort of things. Um, and it was really interesting when I was looking at um, the websites and, and going through all the, the different specs that are reported about shoes. Um, I was also shopping for a new mountain bike at the same time. And you go to mountain bike websites and it tells you. I mean, down to millimeters and ounces and mm everything about every single different component of a mountain bike um but not with footwear i like mm. um I, I presented this data just at this conference a few weeks ago and um there i think there was only six or seven so out of we looked at um 24 websites and 80 different footwear models um, and out of those 80 models, um, there was only about four different objective specs reported. So right. heel toe drop, weight, yeah. um, or the mass of the shoe. Um, and then there was a few that reported the, 
you know, the, the, the actual stack height. So it's not much different than heel toe drop, but at least you know that it's what the, the drop is coming from and what the actual measurements are, but that's about it in terms of specs and all the foam is proprietary and, and mm. trademarked and can't compare any of that stuff because they've all got their own special, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the hardness of it, not nobody reported hardness. Yeah. Okay. Any, any website that I looked at any of the manufacturers. Um, if, if could we just back up for a sec, just for listeners there. So heel toe drop, not everybody knows what that is. Oh, yeah. And um, the other thing you mentioned was, um, stack height. Could you just explain what those two things are for, for people? Yeah. Listening? So, so, um, just the stack height is, is the height of the, so, you know, what you were measuring on your, on your finger. So the height yeah. of the midsole at the, at the back of the shoe, and then again at the front of the shoe and then heel toe drop is the difference between them. So, yeah. um, a drop of zero means that it's, it's the same height at the rear foot and the forefoot. Um, I don't know shoes vary from zero to 12 or 14 millimeters of, of difference. So, mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's different repercussions from that, <laughs> uh, depending on, on what, what your body does, but yeah. Mm. And then do, I mean, did you find, did you look, cause we've been looking at, um, inside to outside foot shoe and and what i mean really is like if you're looking at one shoe we'll, we'll come we're looking at left versus right hand side uh, rather mm. than inner and outer so it's inside being the left of the right shoe you know outside being the right of the right shoe but there's also like heel end and toe end um mm. so is that is there do we need to also look at you know the difference in hardness between the heel and the and the forefoot um and whether potentially you know if you've got a say a lateral skew on the back sorry i'm using my stupid words um, <laughs> if you've got if you're tipping outwards on the heel and you're tipping inwards on the forefoot yeah you know do, do we need to also quantify the differences between the back and the front of the shoe as well as the inside and the outside of the shoe um i don't know I, I, essentially that my fast tool does do that because I give a, a reading for both the forefoot and the and the rear foot. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of what you end up doing with that um, is kind of up, up to you, I think, as a clinician, yeah. like whether, because what you described, you know, if we've got it kind of twisted, essentially is what you were saying, that is indicative of a typical movement pattern if somebody's shoe looks like that after it's been worn for a bit so mm. let's assume they started with a neutral shoe but then neutral um but then as uh they they come in after so much use it it ends up looking twisted and what you can essentially say to them is yep you you run pretty normally you heel strike on the outside of your heel you roll inwards and push off with your big toe and your shoes show that and mm -hmm. you, need, you need a new pair of shoes because these ones are, are worn out. Um, yeah, I don't know how many are actually made that way. Um, I'd probably be a bit surprised if they were, um, but yeah. Okay. But then it's, again, it's coming back to at least having the ability to assess that. And it doesn't sound like, I mean, you're talking about making clinically um valid tools for clinicians like me to to help with people who are injured but 
you know, you also mentioned manufacturers and, you know, if a runner's going into a shop and they're, it's, it's very difficult to say, oh, you, you know, to say blanket to runners, you should get X, Y, or Z type of shoe. Obviously you can't say that, but what, what are the things that you as a runner would look at and, and consider? Um, yeah. Do you still have your shoes sitting there? Yep. Yep. Um, so the very first thing I do is I flip it over and look at the bottom of it. Uh, yep. And I look for, uh, usually, I mean, you're a bit of a trail runner. So, um, usually I look for a, a solid piece of rubber, um, along the bottom. So that one's got a few different pieces, but, um, you know, if you, if you look at the, the front of it, uh, there's, yeah. So there's those green stripes that run down the right in the middle of it. And I would take a look at that and set it back down. Um, because those, those type, you know, that's two different types of rubber there, even oh, though they, okay. they might look and feel the same, but they're going to wear differently. Um, right. and, and what I want is something that's going to wear relatively uniform. Um, I don't mind so much if the front and the back are two different types of rubber because you, you know, you use your shoe at different, different points, but across mm -hmm. from the medial lateral side, I want it to be one solid piece. Right. Um, okay. And then, and then the, you know, the middle where it says Saucony on it. Um, and this is not a, a <laughs> an ad for them at all, but um, you know, as long as that's not a, restrictive piece of plastic or something like that uh you know lots of shoes have that, that mm -hmm. chunk of plastic so, in the middle of it so yeah you're wanting essentially something quite uniform across the bottom would that be fair so nothing too fancy in terms of what yeah. they've done playing around with the design of yeah. it yeah um, like these they've added these little green go faster stripes and <laughs> they put their <laughs> branding in the middle and that that's only going to disturb the purpose of the shoe would that be yeah. okay yeah. And essentially the same thing for the midsole too. So if you turn it back sideways, you know, I want one solid piece of, of midsole material through the middle. Um, mm. And so, I mean, that one, that one's got a pretty good one, but that, you know, you can usually take a look and tell by color usually that there's, there's different chunks that have been glued together. Yes. Um, and yeah. that it's not just a solid piece. And so, so you're um, not a fan of the, you know, when it has the slightly darker on the inside of the shoe, yeah. which is quite, was quite, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it recently, but I think it's still out there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, and you're not a fan of that. You want the form to look fairly uniform as well. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah, just, in, in try to keep it as as simple as possible the more things that you have to glue together and piece together i just think that that get, that's just the increasing the risk of giving you that lumpy pillow uh effect at some point and uh, and then know. for your you know looking at the inside and the outside that we were just doing the the left versus right hand side um and the the back versus the front are you looking to typically have for yourself any kind of tilting outwards or inwards uh, or would, do you prefer when you buy the shoe new it's like I want the shoe when I get it to be pretty neutral and then you know when it starts to look a bit tilty as in the outside of the heel or maybe the outside of the forefoot is or the inside of the forefoot is wearing out then I'm going to replace because I want things on my foot to be fairly 
flat and not make anything any more difficult than it needs to be. Is that how you approach it? Yeah, it is. So I, I try to keep it, um, you know, I, I, I know what my abilities barefooted are and I'm pretty happy with the things that my feet can do. So, um, if I put a pair of shoes on and, and I really struggle to come up onto my toes from a, a, you know, a single legged squat or, um, I, I just feel wobbly in them. I mm. put them, put them back. Okay. Um, so you, you literally do that in the shop. You put that on your foot, you do a little squat, you're standing, you're on one foot as you come up. Yep. So I try and to do try and keep your, single legged. Yeah. And you try and keep your knee bent a bit and come up into a sort of onto your toes. And then you see, do I feel like I'm able to keep myself steady or yeah. am I being tipped over? Is that, oh, okay, yeah. that's, a, that's a really cool way of, because anyone can do those things, right, in sure. a running shop. And I think then you've got a better starting point than, uh, you know, I think the video camera in the running shop is is less common now, but it's uh, it still happens. Yeah. Um, But it's it's also like, it's something useful you can, you can go in with some sort of sense of, okay, I, this is how I'm going to assess my shoe and try and figure out what it's doing to me and then leave with uh, what you mm. think will be a relatively neutral standing point. And then presumably if you've got some sort of problem like, you know, knee pain, heel pain, Achilles pain, you'd be working with a clinician who could perform those same assessments and then sort of use their reasoning to try and determine what kind of shoe might be better for you but that isn't really something a runner would try to do on their own no but i mean essentially you can um as a runner you, you could do that so you know you've had a pair of shoes for a few months say you do a lot of miles and you you go to just test it out and and put it on and do that same dynamic heel raise task and um if it's if it's hard to, to do, that could be an indicator that your shoes aren't, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing anymore. I'm going to steal that little test to use with my clients. <laughs> definitely. So you get them to do it in their bare feet and then you get them to do it with their shoe on and just see, see the yeah. difference. And uh, do they look significantly less stable with their yeah. shoe? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's an interesting way of and, and the flip side of that is that if they can perform it much better in their shoes than they can barefoot, uh, it means they're highly reliant on that brace and that mm. there needs to be a, a different um, treatment pathway in getting them strong enough to be able to do things barefoot. Um, I, I think that it's, it's real difficult to train runners especially if you think about marathon runners or something like that, and they can't do heel raises, mm, um, yeah. especially barefoot. Like you spend a lot of time doing heel raises over and over again. And if you can't do it um, barefooted in a clinical setting, um, you're just setting yourself up for lots of injuries down the, down mm -hmm. the line, I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really touched on I don't know. I don't know what you think. I'd, I'd say it's more important that the physical preparedness of the person, you know, and their and their their approach. So if they if they quadruple their mileage one month to the next, you know, it's not really going to matter how perfectly well they've selected their shoes, you know. Yeah, so that's that, right. But the shoes is a part of the um, injury um, 
I don't know, puzzle, I guess. Um, yeah. but it's, uh, it's, it's not the only part. So, um, the, yeah, I'm conscious that I'm using a lot of your time, but I did, have, <laughs> I did have one question that I really wanted to ask. Um, let me check. Sorry. So, um, where do you see, uh, or where would you like to see things go in terms of how we, um, think about shoes? Do you think these, these categories that we have, would you rather we just didn't have those or do we just need to re refine what they are a little better? I'm, I guess I'm asking what's the future for your research and what would you like to see happen with shoes in the future? Oh, yeah. Um, I would, I mean, I would really love some synergy between uh, footwear manufacturers, uh, places like the International Olympic Committee, um, running stores, clinicians, runners themselves, uh, coaches, you name it, that we can all speak the same language. Um, mm. Because if you told me you have a neutral shoe, and um, you showed me that I go, no, that's a trail shoe. Yep. Um, so uh, having some sort of information, whether it is a, an actual definition where we are very clear that it's not a neutral shoe, it is a trail shoe. Um, it might have neutral properties, but it's still a trail shoe. It's not mm. the same as a as a neutral shoe, um, if we if we can establish something like that, um, it would probably be a highlight of my career because in order to do that would be something along the lines of a Delphi study with um, you know top top running researchers in the world, which I would I would absolutely love to have that opportunity to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, it would it would definitely be a highlight if I was able to to see something like that through. But then you know from from the bigger picture having manufacturers be on board um and care less about their year-end statements and more about what they're actually producing for people um there are some brands out there that are a bit more along those lines but they're still competing with the top dogs so it's it's just a complete paradigm shift for everybody to I, I don't know, to be more, more conscious of what we're doing to, to runners and to people that, that wear the shoes, um, less marketing crap and, and just a bit more truth and honesty would be excellent for me. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, because I, I do think about that bigger picture and, um, you know, osteoarthritis is a, a huge issue across the world. Um, and I don't know, are we, are we actually causing it and who's responsible for that? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and we didn't talk about the actual statistics on running injury rates, but they are very high, right? Higher than other sports, although it depends what study you read, but it's, it's somewhere in the ballpark of 50% of, uh, runners will get injured in a given year, I think is, is often the, the, the sort of statistic quoted. So, um, these are, if the shoes are a part of that, you know, at least having the start, starting point to say, this is what this shoe is, um, then we can 
look at how that might influence um, injury risk. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you were saying about a Delphi study. Now, I'm not entirely clear on this. So that is, what I believe, where you gather a group of people who are the, 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 the most renowned experts in a, in a field, and then you try and come up with a sort of consensus statement on what, what terms we should use for shoes. Is that what you were describing? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, essentially, there, there is one for a minimalist shoe, but none of the, none of the other types or, you know, whatever right. you want to call it. Um, there's a few things that are out in the literature that says, you know, that it falls within these parameters, but the, the study I just did on the websites is there's really no distinction between a minimal shoe all the way up to a maximalist shoe mm-hmm. um, in terms of some of the specs and stuff that are reported. So, you know, in so many studies, they say that um, they used a neutral shoe because it was a X branded model. Um, but so if we're using the manufacturer as the dictator of what type of shoe is, they need to be reporting a lot more things about mm-hmm. the shoe so that we can actually make informed decisions about whether or not it is a neutral shoe. But then we don't have that category, you know, that criteria to, to categorize it against. So it's kind of a chicken and an egg situation um, that I think would actually probably happen at the same time. Um, as a, you know, if I could get a good Delphi study going, um, there's enough of those people that are involved with manufacturers as well. Um, and I think it should include right. manufacturers okay. too. So yeah. it's not just researchers, but it would be a, a really wide base of, of people involved. Um, and like I said, probably a career highlight for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds, that that would be really helpful as a clinician. And I think for runners as well, like, I mean, we just saw an example of you and I, right, who who spend probably quite a bit of time, you know, thinking about running shoes, and we're not on the same page on what shoe this is. Right. <laughs> you know, I thought it was a different shoe to, to what you did. And um, in that study you mentioned with your, sorry, I mentioned with your, with the physiotherapists and, uh, you know, what they believe about running shoes and, and what they do it was it was all over the place and that certainly reflects my experience you know speaking to retailers to runners to other clinicians we all talk mixed like sort of cross purposes because we don't have an agreement on what the shoes what the terms mean when it comes to shoes and it's it's incredibly confusing mm. um and, I, and it must make doing research on it incredibly hard <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, I was I was very humbled when I had my um, my PhD examined because I had some amazing examiners and um, the first thing that they said was well good job on on trying to tackle this and they were very very lovely to acknowledge the difficulty of trying to do something that is assessed for a, a degree um, that is as difficult as footwear. Mm. So and if there's, I, any, I if there's anybody listening that wants to do a PhD on footwear, just take some advice and don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a similar issue last year. I sort of decided I was going to dig into orthotics and just spend a lot of time trying to understand what we know. And oh my word, it's so, so confusing. Um, you know, if you've got foot posture, then you've got orthotics, then you've got shoes. And the research on it is so all over the place and so confusing. Um, it's it's an incredibly difficult area, I think, uh, to study. But I think what you're talking about here is 
for the future, hopefully, some some um, some ways we can assess shoes and some agreement on the the terms we'll use for them. And I think as well, just for people listening today, you know, it's helpful to know why you might be getting confusing messages from different therapists or or from manufacturers. And and do you know what I mean? It's helpful to know that the scientific literature is not in in a, a nice ball currently. <laughs> it's a little bit of a all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think that's helpful for runners and um, so that they can then sort of take it upon themselves to do their own little assessment of their running shoes and what works for them, what doesn't, and maybe put aside a little bit of the the terminology that's being used because it may not be referring to what you think you, it's referring to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just to, I don't know, ultimately I think runners are very instinctual and, um, you know, you know your body better than anybody else is. So if it doesn't feel right, just go get something else. I mean, mm. yeah, just take like it on the chin. Shoes. Just go get something else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, or, or, you know, just stop wearing them. Um, it might be a hard thing to do, but it's probably better in the long run. So, um, yeah, until, until we can all get on the same page, um, runners are probably the best people to provide advice for themselves um, and, you know, ignore the colors, ignore the marketing, all that stuff. It's, it's all just for sale. Um, if you don't like the way a, a pink shoe fits because you're a girl, but you like the way the black shoe fits because it's a boy's shoe, get the boy's shoe. They're mm. not any different. Um, and you know, they, they market them pink to, sell them to girls and um it's yeah it's all just a bunch of interesting stuff coming from higher up the chain uh, that that makes it really hard to sort through um is there any way you'd like to direct people to if they'd like to sort of follow your work in the future uh yep just on twitter um i think it's just cody ramsey uh i, I have a yeah a uh, Google Scholar profile too, um, but yeah, I, I am not a real active social media person. Um, but the Twitter, I try to keep up with my research stuff there. Cool, and um, I'll, I'll give a little shout out to that other podcast you're on, uh, Shoeforia. It's the words shoe and euphoria combined into one. Oh no, that was pretty clever. Was <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. But if anyone yeah. does want to dig into shoes a little more, you know, if you sat through this entire episode, you're probably quite interested. So <laughs> that, that podcast is good for if you want to get in the weeds a little bit with um, what goes into shoe design. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's quite onto a few things and sits in a different field than me. So um, it's yeah, a little bit different topic, but fun. fun nonetheless. Cool. Hmm. Uh, I'll just stop the recording now. One sec. Thanks for listening, guys. If you'd like your questions featured on the show, just email me, mboyphysio at gmail.com. And if you have a moment to leave a review on whatever podcast I'd be listening to this on, it would be a huge help. See you next week.